This time on The Business, the man known as the father of venture capital and his newest venture. I'm Brian Kenny, and this is The Business, the official podcast of Harvard Business School. In 1956, Ronald Cohen was an 11-year-old boy living in Cairo, Egypt. It was a turbulent time in the region. Britain, France, and Israel were battling Egypt for control of the Suez Canal. The Cohen family decided it was no longer safe for them in Cairo, so they packed one bag each and a small stash of money and became refugees. Cohen's mother was British, so the family headed to London, where they started their lives from scratch. Young Ronald didn't speak a word of English. Fast forward to today, and Ronald Cohen is now Sir Ronald, knighted by the Queen of England for his services to the venture capital industry. In fact, he's one of the titans of private equity. He co-founded Apex Partners, a global venture capital and private equity firm. And Apex has a string of winning investments, including Waterstones, Virgin Radio, AOL, and the cloning of Dolly the Sheep. Now, Sir Ronald has turned his laser-like focus on investing in the not-for-profit sector and the practice of social impact investing, doing well by doing good. When he came to our studio, he said it's an idea whose time has come. If in the 19th century people spoke in terms of financial return alone, in the 20th century we brought the dimension of risk and return, in the 21st century we've already brought the third dimension of impact. So Mm -hmm. risk, return, and impact is what it's going to be about. And that means private investment in areas that have long been overlooked and underfunded, preventing health care epidemics, providing schooling for girls in developing countries, and promoting ideas to keep former prisoners from reoffending and being thrown back into jail. Sir Ronald is the chairman of the Social Investment Task Force, which was formed by the G8 countries. Last fall, the task force released a report that found, among other things, that, quote, The financial crash of 2008 highlighted the need for a renewed effort to ensure that finance helps build a healthy society. So we started off our discussion with Sir Ronald Cohen by asking for his definition of social impact investing. Social impact investing is to seek to achieve a social objective as well as a financial return at the same time and to measure both. So the concept, of course, has existed uh, forever that uh, you can invest and achieve good. Uh, But that would be called investment with impact in our term. Mm -hmm. Impact investment is when you set out an objective that is just as important as the financial one, but is a social one, and social for us includes environmental. And you seek to achieve both. And what it does is it gives the key to the capital markets to social entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. by linking the achievement of a social return to a financial return. So it's actually very significant for the funding of not-for-profits, just as it's significant for the funding of social entrepreneurs who want profit with purpose businesses and lock in a social mission uh, and set social objectives for for for-profit businesses. So it's a huge change of of mindset, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it is an idea, in my view, uh, whose time has come, and I see a lot of evidence of that through the work of the task force. Tell me about some of the evidence that you've seen. What's driving the change? What we're beginning to realize is that you can measure social performance. And in the UK, for instance, The government has put on the web, and you can access it by going to the Cabinet Office site, 
the cost of 640 social issues. It costs uh, £62,000, $100,000 a year for a kid uh, to be in care because of problems uh, at home. Uh, it costs £22,000 a year for a reoffender to go back and to be kept in jail. It's about $30,000. Mm -hmm. And this is evidence of the fact that government has realized that if you begin to put these figures out, if you begin to calculate them, and if you begin to put them out, it begins to create a market for dealing with them. So if you're a not-for-profit dealing with uh, young reoffenders, and your cost of intervention for preventing somebody from going back to jail within 18 months of release, which is what happens in two-thirds of cases across the world, mm -hmm. then if your cost of intervention is a third of the cost of the government, clearly there's an opportunity to help these young people lead better lives, save money for the government, and remunerate the organization that's doing the work, which is often a not-for-profit, mm -hmm. uh, as well as the investors who put the money up. And because government is transferring the risk to the investor and paying only for success, you open the gates to innovation. Previously, if government commissioned a service, it would stipulate what is going to be delivered for the money it's going to be paying. Right. But here, it agrees on what success is going to mean. It measures it. It compares it often with a control group. And it pays out following verification by accounting firms and, uh, and, and others only if success has been achieved. From the point of view of the organization actually delivering the service, it has absolutely no constraint on the way in which it approaches the issue. It mm -hmm. can innovate in any way that it believes is fit. And the investors then have the choice of picking a social entrepreneur to try and help reoffenders or young girls who drop out of school in Rajasthan or pre-diabetics across the world. Israel is putting together a type two diabetes prevention uh, bond uh, on the Israeli or on the Palestinian uh, side, but also across the whole of the Middle East and across the uh, whole of, uh, of Asia. Mm -hmm. uh, not, not to mention uh, the United States and Europe. Uh, diabetes is, a, is an epidemic now. Right. Uh, so you can, you can begin to innovate if you're motivated to help others. It, it sounds too good to be true, but in fact, you give examples in the report of where this is actually happening. Let's talk about the uh, recidivism one that you mentioned uh, and the experiment that, that's happening in Peterborough, England. Yes, so the very first social impact bond to be developed and launched, and I'm very proud uh, to have uh, set up the organization that developed and launched it and mm -hmm. to have been involved in, in, in its launch, was launched in 2010. And the results have been measured and the government will end up paying investors uh, between 6 and 7% in all probability, given the results which have been achieved. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, hundreds, hundreds of young people who previously would have been left at the gate with 42 pounds in their pocket, 60 bucks, mm -hmm. which was insufficient to make it to the first government right. payment, yeah. uh, now have some form of training some place to live, the way to sustain themselves until they get their first check from, from the government, and the prospect of staying in work and getting psychological support to achieve that. 
Do you have the numbers on what the recidivism rate dropped to once this program was put into place? So there has been an, an improvement of the order of 20% relative wow. uh, to people in the country who have not had this type of real help. Measurable so a real impact. measurable impact. And the money that was used, you mentioned social impact bonds. I'd like you to define that in a moment. But the money from the sale of those bonds was put into buying the kinds of support services that the prisoners need. Yes. So the money, the money went, it was five million pounds, uh, $8 million, which went to fund three or four organizations that uh, were working with prisoners. And so far as the prisoner is concerned, because this is continuing, so far as the prisoner is concerned, a prisoner is dealing with one organization that is trying to help and which has a philanthropic motive in helping rather than, in this particular case, rather than a profit motive, mm -hmm. which, which makes a big difference in the psychology of prisoners. Now, when you begin to put a big sum of money like that, five million pounds up front, it's no different than starting uh, a new tech company. Mm -hmm. You know, right. five million pound investment is a significant amount of money. If you compare that with what happens with philanthropy typically, and I'm sure you and I are in the same place, we've given money to a lot of organizations doing charitable work, mm -hmm. and we've said to them, we'll give you money for a year or two. After that, please go raise money from somebody else, and please don't spend any money on your overheads. Right. And the reason we've done that, if you think about it, is because nothing was measured. We couldn't tell whether they were doing a good job or not. Right, there's a and good cause, but you didn't know, yeah. You didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so the watershed really came in 2010 when we realized that you could do this with recidivism. And we at social finance realized that this must apply in many more areas than recidivism alone. Mm -hmm. Lots of people said, well, it'll only be recidivism because the police has the information on its, uh, on its computers. But actually, there are 26 social impact bonds across the world. They cover a dozen social issues, including homelessness and adoption and foster parentage and teenage unemployed, dropout rates for girls in Rajasthan. Mm -hmm. uh, Chicago just announced the 17 million dollar social impact bonds to deal with uh, four-year-old children who come from less privileged backgrounds mm -hmm. to make sure they get the sort of training that's going to help them stay in school. And so, so you're beginning to realize that actually, while not everything that counts can be counted, there are many things that can be counted, can be measured. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that you can measure, you can link it to a financial return. To the extent that you can link it to both, you can raise capital for it. Can you make as good a return on a social impact bond as you can if you were investing in you know, any other organization? Uh, you can on a risk-adjusted basis. Uh, what do I mean by that? These are investments that are capturing a new set of opportunities. So if you get a 7% return from improving literacy in Africa mm -hmm. uh, or preventing people from getting diabetes, uh, these are not investment returns that go up and down with the stock market or even with interest rates because there's a wide band of interest rates according to the success that is achieved. Mm -hmm. So effectively what that does is it gives you diversification in your portfolio. So social impact bonds and development impact bonds are what are being categorized today as absolute return 
instruments, mm -hmm. uh, which is what everybody's looking for. It takes an ecosystem to make this work, and you have, do you have to build that ecosystem with each one of these? Governments have begun to do that. In the UK, we already have tax incentives for investing in social impact bonds. We, as I've mentioned, already have information on the web about the cost of social issues. Uh, the Law Commission has already looked at the fiduciary duties of the trustees of foundations and mm -hmm. said, you know, you've got uh, an obligation to achieve an acceptable return, but that doesn't say just financial. It's financial and social return. Mm -hmm. And so w you're beginning to change the ecosystem to enable impact investment to get to scale. So that can work in places where uh, there's a solid infrastructure, there's a functioning government. A lot of the change that needs to happen has to happen in parts of the world where that doesn't exist. Do you see it moving in that direction? Do you see the opportunity for that to become maybe the next uh, phase of this? So when you look at developing countries, they have been dependent on aid for a period of time. Now remittances are much more important than aid. They're four or five times perhaps the size of official aid. Mm -hmm. Direct investment is probably two or three times official aid. And there's a real opportunity for governments to begin to use their official aid through instruments like development impact bonds. So if you want to help literacy, are you better off just giving grants to non-governmental organizations, NGOs, as they're called? Or are you better off creating a development impact bond mm. where certain governments would pay when certain improvements have been achieved in the level of literacy? And the answer is, of course, that if you're backing social entrepreneurs to achieve an improvement in literacy, you stand a much better chance than if you're just giving, you know, giving grants to people. Of course, yeah. uh, because you begin to focus on an objective. And when you focus on an objective, you wake up in the morning wondering how you're going to achieve it, and you go to bed at night worried about you know, the fact that you might not. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that releases tremendous innovation and energy. So I believe that in the area of international development, we're going to find enlightened governments in, in Africa, in Asia, and elsewhere that begin to prioritize areas where impact investment can really help them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think those areas are going to be areas like literacy, like sickness. There's already a um, uh, sleeping sickness uh, development impact bond uh, that is being worked on in Uganda. Mm -hmm. There's a malaria social impact bond being worked on in Mozambique. There's an attainment level at school social impact bond or development impact bond that's uh, being worked on in Rwanda. Mm -hmm. The difference between one and the other, by the way, is that social impact bond is typically paid for by a government. Development impact bond has as an outcomes payor a development organization of a government or foundation or, you know, or even a corporation. Right. Right. You've mentioned entrepreneurship a number of times. You know, at Harvard uh, Business School, we've certainly seen a change in the last five or six years with, with the students coming in having much more of an entrepreneurial mindset and seeming much more focused on starting ventures right as they graduate versus what used to be the pattern, which is they would wait 10 or 15 years before they started to step into entrepreneurial pursuits. How important is that spirit of innovation uh, and that courage, frankly, to take risk to the success of this? Well, when I spoke in 2010 to the graduating class of the business school, 
I said to them that when I had been here, and I graduated in 69 from mm. uh, the B school, uh, the big thing in the air was small companies. And in those days, everybody thought uh, that only big companies could uh, bring great technological breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. Everybody thought, you know, if you wanted to do that, you went to IBM. Right. Now look how much the world has changed now, where you've got a number of companies that are less than 25 years old, mm -hmm. <laughs> roughly, that have overtaken the IBMs of this world. The next big thing is social entrepreneurship and investment, in my view. And it reflects itself here at the B School in the number of students who are taking social enterprise courses of, of one or another. It reflects itself in the number of people who come to see me. Every day I see young people mm -hmm. who say to me, you know, I want to do something that has more meaning than just making money. After all, the characteristic of a, of a bright young person is to want to change the world. And just as we develop then venture capital, as a response to the needs of startups mm -hmm. and young companies that wanted to take risk to achieve technological innovation. So today, impact investment is a response to the needs of social entrepreneurs to have risk capital to change the world for the better. And I think that sort of gets to my next question, too, which is what would you say to the cynic out there who says, you know, this is just a bunch of feel-good stuff. This really can't, you can't succeed at this. Well, I would say the same thing. Uh, as I said, when people said to me, this is all hopelessly optimistic. New companies, startups led by dropouts are going to overtake IBM. It's crazy. <laughs> well, it didn't prove to be crazy, right. and this isn't going to prove to be crazy either. Sir Ronald Cohen, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Sir Ronald Cohen is one of the co-founders of the global equity firm Apex Partners. A heads up to HBS and potential HBS students out there. Sir Ronald spoke at the Harvard Business School campus last year and told students that if he were graduating today, he would launch a career in social impact investing. So if you didn't hear it there on campus, you heard it here on The Business. Join us again in two weeks for our next podcast. In the meantime, check out all of our archives by going to our website, hbs.edu slash thebusiness. And tweet us anytime to comment, ask questions for future guests. Our Twitter handle is at HarvardHBS. And don't forget to subscribe to The Business on iTunes U or follow us on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening. <laughs>